Welcome to New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast, the podcast for serious soccer players and their supporters to help further their development and navigate their way throughout their soccer careers. And now, here's your host, Matt Langoni. Thanks so much for joining us. We're excited to bring you another episode of our podcast where we discuss soccer at all different levels with some of the most interesting, accomplished, and influential personalities in the region. We've got a great guest for you today, as I'll be joined via Zoom by Chris Bondi, who is the new head coach of the UConn men's soccer team. Chris has returned to UConn, where he starred as a defender and one of the program's greatest players ever. He captured the Mac Herman Trophy in 2000, and that same year led the Huskies to a national championship. Chris spent the last six years as head men's soccer coach at Northeastern and led the Huskies to an 11-6-2 overall record in the 2021 season. Prior to his coaching tenure, he was a highly decorated player who was the first overall selection in the 2002 MLS Super Draft. He played eight years professionally for FC Dallas, Miami FC, and FK Haugesund of the Norwegian division. He also made an appearance for the Liberian national team in 2004. Chris, thanks so much for being here. It's great to have you. Thanks for having me. No problem. Um, been wanting to have you on uh, for a while now, so I'm glad we're able to catch up. Um, I think the jumping off point here is I think I already know the answer to this question, but it'd be great to hear it in, in your words. Why go back to UConn? <laughs> no, that's a great question. Um, obviously, it's a no-brainer, right? Um, played here. Um, we were pretty successful here as a group, and and obviously the opportunity to lead this program um, to me is a, is a no-brainer. Is one I'm pretty excited about. You you were building you know something special at Northeastern coming off a really good fall in in 2021. I think the the wins was the the fifth most in program history at Northeastern. So you had success there. Was it at all? I mean, you say it's a no brainer, but was it at all a decision you had to wrestle with, or was it one of those deals where you know UConn approached you and you knew that was the right move? Yeah, there's only a few schools that I would have left Northeastern for, right? And I think obviously. UConn is one of those schools just because of the history that I have with the program and, and obviously being an alum. Um, but yeah, it was a difficult decision because the kids and, and, and the student athletes that I worked with at, at Northeast were unbelievable. You know, they entrusted us and, and gave us everything they had the last couple of years, right? Because I think anybody can look at our record from the first year we got there. You know, I think we gradually got better. So in order to do that, you have to get the buy-in from the, from the players and and we're fortunate enough that they're able to do that. And it's just so crazy how this thing works. As soon as we felt like we're turning things around, then this great opportunity came about. And, and, and obviously my family and I thought it was, it was best that, you know, we looked into it. And, and, and obviously um, having a place like UConn come after you, you have to look at it strongly. You know, college coaching is obviously one of those things where you develop such close relationships with players. You recruit them. You know, you speak to their parents. You meet their families. I imagine it's always tough, and it's your career, so you're looking out for for what you want to do as well. But are those conversations with players tough when you when you have to say goodbye and you're moving on to a different place? Yeah, it's very difficult. It's very difficult. Um, there's no, yeah, there's no hiding that, right? I think ultimately you bring a player in and you and you recruit them, you know, hoping and 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 praying you guys will all be there for for a number of years and. And I was pretty honest with the guys. I think they were pretty understanding of it. Um, but I do think it's a tough conversation to have considering we were so close to that group. And, and we all, you know, as a group, have had ups and downs together. And, and this year was a was a huge positive. And I think they all felt and we felt as well that the upcoming years were even going to be better. 
you'll be replacing a legend in Ray Reed, um, you know, a coaching legend that you know all too well playing for him and, and just the, the great success he have had over decades at UConn. What's the mindset when you know you're replacing a kind of a coaching icon like that? Yeah, no, I think anytime you're taking over for a legend, um, it's obviously a difficult situation, right? Because in, in every sport, they've been so successful. Like you go around and you look at football, basketball, baseball, um, there's been some legendary coaches and you've had, you know, some young coaches that have taken over and, 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 all, and ultimately, yeah, it's not, it's not an easy situation, but I think the best thing we can do as a staff and myself included is just really focus on us and how do I become the best coach I can be as opposed to trying to ultimately replace Ray Reed. What was it like to play for Ray? Are there any, um, you know, humorous stories that come to mind about his personality and, and your personalities and how they kind of work together when you were in that player-coach relationship or just in the years you've known him? What Take us inside kind of his personality. Yeah, I think anybody that knows Ray Reed knows he's a very intense individual, <laughs> right? And, and I think if you play for, for an individual that intense, um, you know, there's going to be some times where you probably butt heads a few times. <laughs> but, yeah, I think for, for us and all the guys here, we, we knew how – um, competitive he was and how competitive we were as a group. So we all wanted the same thing at the end of the day, which was to win a national championship here. And, and we're fortunate enough to do that under Ray. And um, But yeah, there's a lot of stories that, um, you know, I'll keep between us for now, but there's, <laughs> I'll just say he's, he's an intense individual and, and he, but he was a joy to, to, to obviously work with and be a part of. And I was actually fortunate enough to, to coach with him for, for, for a year here as a volunteer and, and I was great just to be on the other side and see how much he puts into it. You know, I wonder at a place like UConn, if the coaching excellence kind of just spreads around the university, you know, you look at the men's basketball program for years with Jim Calhoun and the, the women's basketball program with Gino Oriema and just the dominance they've had and Ray and soccer. Do you feel like being around great coaches, even in other sports kind of is, um, uh, contagious and kind of helps out your own methods of coaching? I think it has to, right? I think success breeds, um, you know, success, right? Because if you have all these coaches around that are successful, ultimately you want to see what they're doing that you might be able to take from, you know, and, and ultimately I think coaching is about people, right? It's about teaching people and about making people be better and, and, and find a way to get the most out of them. So, um, and all these coaches that you just mentioned have been able to do that. So I think for Ray coming in, just watching Calhoun, being around Gino, um, and just seeing the success that we've had here in those sports. And then you bring field hockey in and you look at a coach like Jim Penders in terms of baseball. So, um, yeah, I think is, is, is unique, is a unique place, is an unbelievable, um, university. And, and I think any, student athlete that is looking to come to a place where ultimately you might have a chance to win a national championship in the four years that you're there. I think UConn is one of those places that first comes to mind. And you know firsthand what UConn men's soccer is capable of winning a national championship in in 2000 and an incredible individual season for you as well. And, And even the last NCAA tournament appearance wasn't all that long ago for the program. I believe it was 2018. So what is the potential for the program moving forward? And, and what would you say are kind of the keys to getting it back to that national championship contention? Yeah, no, I think one of the things we've talked about here, we know this is a place that you can win a national championship, right? And I think ultimately that's the case. Um, you've seen something done. I think you ultimately feel like you can do it again. And we believe we can do that here. 
again. And I think one of the key things we've talked about is going back to our roots, right? And I think the roots of, of UConn soccer is getting players, um, you know, local players, players from the East Coast, players from the U.S., that understand what it is to put on the, the Husky blue and, and what it is to work for this for this university. So I think we need to go back to that. And I think one of the things we want to do is really put it out there to the kids on the, on the East coast and the top players on the East coast that UConn is the top um, soccer program on the East coast. And we believe we can get there. And in order to do that, we're going to need you guys to, to come here and, and help us do that. So I think we really has focused on that. And that's kind of been one of our recruiting push early on. But ultimately, it's about recruiting, right? I think I'm a good coach. I think we have a good coaching staff. I think we have one of the best soccer facilities in the country. And I think we have one of the best universities in the country. How, how much of a challenge does playing in the Big East present? I mean, you, you know there's some really strong perennial soccer powers in that, in that league. So what challenges um, do you see playing in that, in that conference going forward? Yeah, no, I think it presents a lot of challenges, right? Because you talk about Georgetown, who's right now the, the cream of the crop in the conference, and Providence not far behind. Creighton is making a run, um, and, and it's one of those things where you look at it every single year, the top three or four shifting, Butler's good, um, Seton Hall won it a few years back. So, you know, top to bottom, the league's probably one of the top four or five leagues in the country. Um, and I think what makes it uniquely tough is each team has their own style. Right. So I think if you go to the ACC, you look at most of the teams play a similar way because um, they, you know, the surface is, is all the same. They all play on grass, big fields spread out, try to move the ball. And I think the Big East is a little bit different, right? Because some teams play on grass, some teams play on turf, some teams play in a tight um, and narrow field, and then some teams play in bigger spaces. So um, having that and preparing for each game just becomes a different challenge. What would you say? also is, is your vision for the type of team you want UConn to be, you know, in terms of playing style, ideally, um, how will you guys play on the field? And uh, what are kind of the most important elements um, to you? Is it fitness? Is it, uh, you know, just, just in terms of, of key elements and how you get to where you want to be? Yeah, no, I think it's, I think it's tempo, right? We talk a lot about the tempo of play, uh, you know, in terms of, being a bit high press and, and getting team faces a little bit, but also I think the way we move the ball in tempo and that as well, right? Are we moving a ball slow where things are now being bogged down or are we having uh, a tempo that is a bit hard for teams to keep up with because we're always moving the ball and, and we're, we're, we're having an opportunity for guys to get in the attack and, and, and get after a little bit. So yeah, I think the tempo is something we preach here, making sure the tempo is played at a high level. And then I think fitness at every level is important, right? You go from high school to college to, to the pros, the fitness that it takes to play at those levels becomes so important. Right. And in terms of, of how you coach, your coaching style, being a decorated player yourself and having a lot of success on the pitch, are you a player's coach? I mean, do they come to you for advice on on all different aspects of soccer and even life in general? What, what kind of is your coaching style in, in regards to the players? Yeah, I think my coaching style is pretty demanding in terms of what I expect and, and, and what I um, ultimately want from, from guys on the field, right? Because I think when we're there for an hour and a half um, training and, and trying to get better, um, I think it's important that I am demanding and things that I want, you know, we certainly want it done the right way. Um, but I think off the field, there have to be that connectivity with the group, right? Because I think the way, um, you know, it was back in the day with coaches and coaches and players were players, um, I think the new generation expects something a little 
even more. Right? They want to get to know you. They want to know what you're about. They want to know, do you care about them? Um, do you understand what they're dealing with? And I think that's what our, my staff and I are, are, are trying to make sure that we're, we're part of that. We're extension of their family away from home. So, um, yeah, I think on the field we're demanding and we want the best. But off the field, we also want to put our arms around them and say, hey, we're here for you if you need us. Right. And I feel like I have this conversation with pretty much every college coach in any sport I've ever talked to, but just the whole recruiting aspect of, of coaching in college, it just seems like it's such a demanding thing and it makes up so much of the job, just finding those players who fit into the system and and selling the program to certain players who you want. It, it, it's got to be a difficult task, but I imagine that anyone who's coaching at the college level, it's something they really love and appreciate because they like to get out there and, and talk soccer to players and meet families and, and things like that. What is kind of your approach to recruiting, and, and is it something that you enjoy uh, uh, as part of college coaching? Yeah, no, I think it's a fun part of the job, right? Obviously coaching out there um, and, 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 and looking to win games and be successful, obviously so enjoyable as well. But um, ultimately, um, no coach that is you know has been successful will tell you that hey, we don't have good players. Right? Ultimately, it's about players and about trying to get good players. And within trying to get good players, I think you have to go out there and tell your story. You know, your personal story as a coach, but also the personal story at the university that you're representing. Um, obviously, we have so many players that are good players, great players, but I think they can still get better. And I think those are things we try to outline within the recruiting process: guys that we can find and hope to develop them, but then also they want to get better because they have that growth mindset within them. Right. Is there, is there a particular um, attribute or intangible that you look for in recruits when you're out there looking? I think the first thing we look for, and this has just been my, you know, over the years and, and being part of the game in terms of playing it, coaching it, I think the mentality is the first piece, right? And you say, well, mentality, what are you talking about? You know, how can you tell about a kid's mentality? Well, it's like, how do they deal with adversity? Have they had a bad pass? Are they pouting? Are they pointing their fingers at somebody else? Hey, their team's not winning. Are they still going about it the right way? Are they still competing? Are they still trying to find a way to motivate their team? So for me, the mentality piece is, is so crucial um, because if you have that part of it and you can nail that on the player, then you know, hey, they can come into your system and it's going to be some ups and downs, right? Because they've been the man at high school. They've been the man at club. But now you come into college and all of a sudden, maybe you're starting off the bench and you have to come in and fight for a spot. How do they handle that? Right. I think once you have the mentality piece dialed in on the individual then all the other stuff you can kind of work on. Right. Hey, are they able to read the game? Are they able to see the game? Are they able to make the right decisions? So those are all things that we tend to look for. Hey, are they dynamic enough to beat a guy off the dribble? If they're attacking player, are they dynamic enough to turn their hips and running behind if they're defensive players. And it's not easy, you know, um, obviously if it was easy, we'll all be undefeated, right? Cause you have all the guys <laughs> with the right mentality, right. Um, hundred percent of the time, but the mentality is the biggest piece that we look for. Um, yeah. Are you How important will it be to win those recruiting battles within new England? Yeah, it's crucial. It's crucial, right? Because I think you're talking about probably one of the top regions in the country in terms of, you know, soccer hotbeds of, of schools, right? You know, Providence, BC, Harvard, Yale, and and you go on and on and on, and, you know, Central, and all these different schools, or maybe people may look at it as well, they're all different levels, but ultimately, the more schools you have in your region, then the more opportunity for kids to go and go play somewhere else, right? And I think that's where you're seeing right now, where you're having a lot of the ACC schools, the Georgetowns, obviously in the Big East, but more so the ACC schools, the Wake, the Carolinas, you know, the Virginia Techs, 
Um, they're all coming up here in the East Coast and taking our top players and having them go down there. And I think for us to be successful here at UConn, we have to make sure and let these players know that this is a place that they can play, you know, close to home, play in front of three, 4,000 fans every single game and have their parents and their friends and family come to watch them. So we have to make sure they understand that UConn is the top program around this region. And in order for us to do that, we have to be successful pretty early so they can see themselves coming here, doing well, and then ultimately become, you know, give the opportunity to be pros because that's, that's one of the things that UConn has done better than anybody else over the years, right, is develop players here and then send them on to the next level. Mm-hmm. I wanted to kind of rewind back to your your early days of playing soccer and your kind of upbringing with the game. You mentioned how important personal journey can be for coaches in those recruiting battles, kind of explaining where you're coming from and what you experienced. Take us through your early years of, of when you kind of fell in love with the sport. Yeah, I know. Obviously, being a kid, I grew up in, in West Africa, in Liberia. I was able to just kind of learn on my own. Um, you know, I know, obviously, having two young kids right now, is always so tough, right? Because there's so many things you want to teach them and tell them. Um, but I was fortunate enough that my my parents, you know, had to work and and, and go out there and, and do their thing. And and I was just given an opportunity to go and play with friends, go play, learn. You know, you lose some, you win some, but you can kind of try different things. Um, and I do think that, you know, my coaching style is taking part of that is really having guys kind of learn in certain situations on their own as opposed to always stopping training every five seconds and trying to correct it. Um, and then, yeah, after, after, you know, after those times in, in Liberia, I came to, to Houston and I was fortunate enough in, in Houston, you know, the club scene at that time was, was, was great, right? You had the Houston Hurricanes, you had the Houston Texans, um, you know, Dallas Texans at the time, it was a huge rivalry. We'll, we'll travel up to Dallas all the time. And guys like Olivier Benadori, um, Glenn Davis, who's now the broadcaster for the Houston Dynamo, Tony Johnson, who was one point the all-time leading scorer at the University of North Carolina. All those guys and having them kind of be in my corner helped develop me, right? Because they can challenge me as you get older. You have those guys that are mentors that saying, okay, you know, this part of it you can keep, these other part of your game you need to work on. And I think that helped me immensely. And there is no wonder we had five guys from, um, you know, my club team in, in Houston played at the University of Connecticut and helped us win a national championship because I think those guys were a key factor in that. What was it about UConn that, that kind of drew your interest? And, you know, you mentioned other guys going there as well. What, what was it about that university, especially being, you know, far away from Houston? Yeah, no, I think it's, a, it's, a, it's actually an interesting story, right? Because I knew nothing about UConn, obviously coming from, from Houston. Um, you know, everybody wanted to go to SMU. And, and at the time, I think like every young player, right, there's some schools that see you as, as that, as being the player that they can, can develop. And obviously at the time, SMU didn't see me as that, which, okay, it's fine. Um, but uh, the interesting thing about UConn, I found out about UConn, I watching obviously the NCAA tournament and watching the women NCAA tournament and UConn basketball at the time. Wow, man, this is a pretty cool school. <laughs> we, um, you know, they, they, the women basketball team is, is quite, you know, it's quite, Good and 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 then you just start doing more research about the school. You're like, oh man, this is a pretty cool school, and um, the people here value soccer, and and ultimately that's kind of what I saw, and I wanted to be part of it. New England's soccer journals, the goal will return after this. 
Are you serious about playing your sport in college? Do you need a flexible education that allows you to maintain your practice and competition schedules while also preparing you to succeed at the next level? You should check out the University of Nebraska High School. UNHS is accredited and offers more than 100 online courses, including NCAA-approved courses to protect your academic eligibility. Students could earn a UNHS diploma or take a single course for transfer credit. Courses are college prep, self-paced, and available 24-7, 365. Enroll anytime and take up to a year to complete a course. Visit highschool.nebraska.edu today. What does it take to become a champion? Teamwork, talent, grit, and above all, opportunity. HUSAC Elite Soccer has all that and more. Let's go, let's go, let's go! HUSAC School is located in beautiful Hoosick, New York, right on the edge of New England. And HUSAC students don't just dominate on the field, they dominate in the classroom. Students at HUSAC benefit from a rigorous academic program, expert instruction from an amazing faculty and staff, fine and performing arts, championship athletics, and the once-in-a-lifetime experience that comes from a student body of over 200 students from more than 40 different countries. Soccer teams practice. Elite soccer teams train. HUSAC Elite Soccer. Isn't it time you went from good to elite? more information, check out HUSAC.org. Looking to keep up with all the latest news and information on New England soccer? New England Soccer Journal and AnySoccerJournal.com are the premier resources for information and inspiration on the New England soccer scene. Have every issue of New England Soccer Journal, the magazine, delivered to your home or office. And don't forget to stay in the game every day with a digital subscription to AnySoccerJournal.com to receive soccer coverage on clubs, college commits, prep and high school, Division one, two, and 3 colleges, showcases, rankings, and so much more. Get in the game and behind the scenes now by going to AnySoccerJournal.com. Just click on the subscribe button and start the subscription that is right for you today. New England Soccer Journal is a Siemens Media publication. Siemens Media. Inspiring. Informative. Insightful. Stores, Connecticut is such like an unassuming location, but at the same time, you know, it's it's in between Boston and New York City, so I I can see how like it would end up thriving in college sports because you know, you look at it on the surface and you're like, wow, it's amazing that this place has become a, a Division One sports powerhouse. But you can kind of see how it would how it would come to that. And I think the campus is great as well. Yeah, campus is beautiful. Um, I think ultimately, I believe we're selling, you know, a stadium, which right now if people are to come on campus and see all the facilities we have. UConn is ultimately about the people within it. And people love this university. The coaches love it. The student athletes are passionate about it. And I think any recruits that come on campus, that's what they see. And if I'm, you know, and if I'm, bed, if I'm a bed man, um, you know, which I'm not, if you come and you're, <laughs> you're, if you, you're part of that, you're, you're, you're just taken back. Like, hey, I want to be part of it. Look, you come and watch a women's basketball game. It's packed. You come and watch a women's soccer game. You know, you have thousands of fans and, and baseball games. So those are things you ultimately want to be a part of. And, and I think ultimately for us is making sure that people understand that. But yeah, I get, I get what you're saying and being a part of, 
of a university that's right between Boston and New York, right? You're right in the middle of that. There's not too much to do, right? right. So ultimately, hey, I want to go watch some some soccer. I want to go watch some basketball, baseball, and softball, and and field hockey, and, and get out of my dorms a little bit. So we're pretty fortunate to have that. And again, we don't have a professional team, right? right. You know, I think um, we don't have the basketballs or the, the football and all that. And we're fortunate enough that we can get the Giants and, and the Patriots right next to us here, right. but ultimately in Connecticut, we just don't have that. No, I mean, it's it's a legitimate college town in New England, which I've always, you know, you go to some of these, you know, state college where Penn State is, you go to some of these these big university towns and the, and the, the towns just rally around those programs because it's, it's the yep. big, it's the big game in town. And I think UConn definitely has an element of that. I also wanted to ask you too, what sticks out when you look back at that run to a national championship, obviously winning and hoisting the trophy speaks for itself, but what else sticks out about that whole experience? Yeah, I think it was the, the adversity that we faced, right? Um, Cause I think everybody looked at, well, 2000 team, um, you know, UConn won a national championship, but if you go through and look at that journey, you know, our freshman year, we came in, I think at one time we were 15 and 0 um, from the following year. I think the end of the year, either eight and eight or seven and seven, you know, Ray's second year, my first year and the group we brought in and, and obviously have Mauricio Rocha, Bobby Ryan. Those are the guys that kind of led the group at that time because myself and some of the young guys were just kind of following their lead. Um, and to start the season 15 and 0, number one in the country for almost 15 weeks straight. And then lost in the first round to Penn State in a game that we dominated. Second year, we get to the final four, lost in, I think it was at the time, six overtime to Santa Clara. Wow. Um, and the junior year, obviously we won it, but it was those years before then that got us to a point to, to win in our junior year because just going through it and understanding we were close, don't give up. We have to work a bit harder. We have to have the group that understand the mentality in the summer. Hey, we got to stay and work with each other. We have to train. We have to lift and run. So, and that's when I talk about mentality, that's what I'm talking about, right? Facing adversity and ultimately kind of bouncing back from it. And I think that's what I remembered about the, the championship team. Not necessarily that we won it in 2000, but kind of what it took for us to win it, um, the, the you know, the previous years before that. And then just kind of walk us through your professional experiences. How much did you enjoy that time and, and the different stops you had in, in playing at that level? Yeah, no, it was a dream come true, right? I'll be honest with you, I'm not like some of these young guys now that, that wake up and say, ah, I want to be a pro. I want to be a yeah. pro. Um, and again, the game was a lot different then, right? I think these guys have a huge advantage um, over, over some of us back then um, where, you know, every day you get up, there's soccer on TV for myself. Like I said, it's, is, is one of those things where, you know, we all wanted to be pros, but I don't think we thought about it as much as these guys do now. Right. right. I think part of it is just because they see it all the time on TV and they see themselves within that because there's just so many top players, um, that they've grown up with that are playing in Europe, so they see themselves and hope to get there. Does it make you proud, um, you know, as someone who played professional soccer in the United States, does it make you proud to see what the MLS has become? I mean, it's it's really just grown immensely over the last couple of decades with expansion in the cities it's gone into. And I'm just curious, as someone who played in the league, what, what that um, does to, to you in, in terms of pride. Yeah, no, I think it makes me pride and jealous, you know, to be honest with you, <laughs> uh, to have that. Um, yeah, just to, to watch the league and the growth of the league. You know, I, I kind of have to pinch myself every once in a while just to see where the league is going and, and, and ultimately what they've done. It's just unbelievable. And I'm just so proud of all the guys that um, have, have put, you know, their sweat and tears in, into 
into making the league what it is, right? Because, yeah, it just looks legit. It looks like a big-time <laughs> European league, right? And we got 60, 70, 80,000 fans. Right. And, and it, yeah, so it's amazing. And I'm just so proud to be um, a small part of that. You know, and that's something that, you know, they can never take away from me. It's funny. I saw a photo, I think on, it must have been on Twitter, of Alexi Lalas wearing an MLS uniform back in the day. And just the way, I mean, as anything, I mean, fashion trends improve as years go along and everything gets better as years right. go along. But, but I'm, I'm looking at that picture and I'm like, I can't believe that's what the unis looked like back in the day when the MLS started. And it's it's funny because you use the word jealous. What was like a, a training session like in the MLS back in the day when you were playing? What, what kind of fields were you on? Yeah, no, the, I think obviously being in Dallas, we, we were pretty fortunate, right? Um, the, the, the fields were, were actually decent. The training, I think, has always been at a, at a decent level just because there's just been so many people within the game learning the game at, at different level and coming here and, and teaching. And you know, we have some very great, you know, we have some outstanding American coaches as well. So the the, the coach is not necessarily the piece. It's just the, the other stuff around the game, which makes the game even more enjoyable. It's just, hey, you know what? Some of these guys now are going out for, for lunch or dinner and people are asking for the autographs. We didn't have that when I was playing, you know. Um, <laughs> we walk into the stadium at – at, you know, at the time Gillette when it was grass and you know what, you'll be, you looking around there's maybe, you know, about 5,000 people. Now you get a Gillette, it's close to 22, 25,000 people. So I think it just makes it legit. And then you talk about all of us playing in Arrowhead stadium where now, you know, Kansas city has their own brand new soccer specific stadium. So yeah, it was just night and day, but I think again, as much as I'm a little bit jealous, I'm also proud of kind of where the league is gone and, and what soccer is becoming in this country and is only going to get better. Right. And, and, and how many kids do you have? You mentioned you have, you have a, a couple kids two. Yeah, I have two, two, uh, two kids, uh, a young daughter and, and a young son. Nice. How old are they? Yeah. So I have my daughter's nine and my son is, is six. So are they involved in the sport? Are they playing already or? Yeah. So they're, they're playing. Obviously my, my six year old son just plays town talker right now because yep. he wants to do baseball and do all these <laughs> other sports. And then my daughter is actually playing um, with a youth club up in this area, Juventus. Um, and, and she enjoys it and loves it. So um, that's always good. I, I, that, that's actually a, a good lead into a question. I always like to ask, um, you know, particularly high level coaches, how important or, uh, do you think it is for kids, especially young kids, to play multiple sports. I mean, you see so much of, of specializing right now and it's, um, you know, it's, it's like the, the, the Tiger Woods effect. I mean, he played nothing but golf since the day he was three years old. And obviously he became arguably the greatest golfer of all time, but how important is it for these kids to kind of be experienced to different types of sports? Or do you think they should be focusing on, on one over the others? Yeah, no, I think that's a great question. I think each parent um, will probably give you a different answer and each coach will give you a different answer. I think for me, in my development as an individual and, and as a player. And um, I thought it was important for me to play different sports, right? So growing up in Texas, I played football, I played basketball, I played soccer. Um, and yeah, if you're trying to be the next Tiger Woods in certain things and certain sports, then maybe it's important that you just focus on that. But, you know, I want my kids to have a good experience and all around experience. So, um, you know, my, my daughter's done gymnastics. My son, like I said, is doing baseball and I'm sure he's going to do basketball when he grows older. My daughter likes some other sports as well. So, yeah, I think for me it's important that we have them experience different sports. But, again, that's a personal choice and a personal decision for everybody. But I do think it's important for my upbringing that I played other sports because I was able to deal with different adversity playing those different sports. 
do you ever show the kids any old clips of yourself playing just to kind of show them the proof of what you once were as a player? I do not because I think they they, they probably still won't even believe it. Right? Oh man, I'd be showing them everything. I'd be digging up all the clips. <laughs> yeah, no, I think is is more trying to convince them to do their homework than anything else, right? <laughs> Just, but other than them sitting down and watching clips of me, but um, yeah, you know, luckily they they do sit down and, and watch some soccer with me because I'm a big Real Madrid fan, so they watch awesome. some of those games and. And my daughter and son loves going to the Rams game, so we'll we'll do that together as well. I, I have two sons at home as well, and I'm I'm living proof is that kids are never uh, never impressed by their dad, no matter what no matter what dad does. I don't think they're really quite ever impressed anyway. So it's a losing no, battle. No, not at all, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, Chris, I really appreciate um, you giving us the time today and, and having this discussion. I think it was great, and uh, I'm looking forward to to talking with you and working with you in the years at UConn. I really appreciate the time. Okay, thanks a lot. All right, take care. Take care. Thanks to Chris Bondi for joining the podcast and engaging in a fun and interesting conversation. I'm Matt Langoni. Thanks for listening. New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast is produced by Steve Safran and is a Siemens Media production. You've been listening to New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to our podcast or visit anysoccerjournal.com forward slash podcast. Siemens Media. Inspiring. Informative. Insightful.